if you would turn with me to Psalm 1, um, we're going to be in the first psalm this morning. And uh, as you're doing that, I guess we should start with uh, just some background on the psalms. Uh, the book of Psalms is really uh, a book of praises and prayers that have been set to music. Uh, it's been well uh, called the, the songbook of Israel or the Hebrew hymnal. And, um, and it's also one of the books of poetry in the Old Testament. It goes along with Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Um, and so the differences, though, between Hebrew poetry and our what we would consider poetry these days are, are pretty stark. I mean, nowadays you, you see a lot of uh, rhyming, and, and it's very much uh, dependent on the, the meter or the, the syllables in each line and ha the emphasis on where you put that. Um, I'm not a poet by, by any means, but, um, you know, everything, you know, rhymes and such with our poetry. Well, it was different with the Hebrew poetry. They would more focus in on the repetition of ideas, and uh, uh, it would maybe emphasize it differently um, as, as those ideas would be repeated throughout their poetry. Um, it also would, would focus in on the, the contrast between ideas, and we're going to find that today in Psalm 1. Uh, so different in style, but beautiful in how it uh, is able to focus and communicate ideas. Um, there are many authors of the, um, the Psalms. I think most of us think of King David, the second king of Israel, when, when we go there. But we can actually attribute at least 73 of them to him. Uh, other guys like Asaph, there's it's like 12 sons of Korah wrote some in there. Uh, King Solomon's credited with a couple. Uh, Ethan, Moses, a guy named He-Man. Never knew that when I was watching that television <laughs> show growing up. But, uh, uh, and then there are also 50 where maybe we can't attribute specifically for sure. You know, maybe some of these authors wrote those, maybe others. And we call those the orphan psalms. Um, another thing I found in prepping here would be the primary subject really of the psalms is, is Yahweh, Jehovah God. Uh, and there are many names uh, that describe God, but that's the one most commonly used, and you'll find it used at least twice uh, in all 150 psalms. Um, so uh, final thing I had up there was, was really there is a psalm for, for every situation in life. And those of us who've walked long enough uh, know that there's going to be plenty of low times, high times, and everywhere in between, and, and I definitely run to the psalms. Uh, quickly uh, in certain aspects there. So um, anyway, uh, as we get started, let's go ahead and read the psalm uh, in its entirety, and then we'll dig in. Uh, so Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So as we get into verse 1, um, it says, blessed is the man. 
And blessed uh, simply means, oh, how happy. Um, it comes from the Hebrew word esher, uh, which is a form of the word asher, and I'm not a, a linguist here, but that implies um, to be right or to be straight. And so what it means is the man or woman who is straight or um, who is right with God will be happy, blessed, or oh, how happy, right? Um, so then it goes from there into um, things we shouldn't see in that person. I thought that was interesting. But it talks about who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So as you see here, the, uh, the slide has where it emphasizes walks, stands, and sits. And we're going to camp there for a little bit. Um, and when it says walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, um, counsel means advice or plan, or you could even better describe it as do not think like those that walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And I think that's been true through all the ages, but today more than ever, you can't turn anywhere without having counsel of uh, the ungodly available, whether it's media, whether it's, um, you know, just social media, any, in anywhere you go, we are bombarded advertising. And, and I feel like today more than ever, uh, we have to be careful. We have to put protections in place so that we're not falling into that counsel. Um, but the next step in that is standing, right? And standing in the way of the sinners implies setting your foot, coming alongside. Um, and, the, and, and what that will lead to definitely is you will move from thinking like them into behaving like them. And that's not always bad, in this case, obviously, in the psalm, but I, it made me think of early in my coaching career. I had an opportunity after a couple of years to meet a world-class swimming coach. I know you guys follow the sport of swimming, and uh, <laughs> you guys are probably like, they have swimming coaching jobs? <laughs> But um, he was a wonderful coach, and he was way different than me. I'm a southern boy from Tennessee. My dad moved us to South Florida, and he's from Long Island, New York, and was all about the big city. Uh, but he was impactful. He was a tremendous teacher. He could speak to an 8-year-old and write at their level and teach them well where they would learn and hold the, the technical things and the things that are pretty complicated, actually. And then he would have enough to be able, they would want to come back. He could, again, write with them. And then he could also speak with the group that I most, mostly spent my time with. Is we had a group of young athletes that were at the national level of the sport, the highest levels of commitment, practicing before, after school, the whole deal, right, all year long. Right? And he could get right at their level. So he was impactful to me. And what I found as I stood alongside him, especially that first year, as mostly I was observing and, and supporting everything that he did, was my mannerism started to change. Um, the way I would speak the way I would carry myself on the pool deck. Um, <laughs> he even had this old school black briefcase, right? And he would carry all his workouts and his stopwatches and such in there. Um, but it, it sort of communicated as he came on deck, we're here about business. We got some important things to do, right? So of course it didn't take too long and he'd be walking on the deck with his briefcase and me, I'd be following a few steps behind with my matching briefcase, right? <laughs> you know? And I'm sure he got grief from some of his, you know, contemporaries um, in coaching. Uh, but it, it naturally would happen that I would behave like him. And that happens uh, here in the psalm in the negative. You know, if we're going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, it's not going to be long that we are going to be 
begin to think like them, to behave like them. Uh, and then finally, the, the last bit of that uh, progression there is it sits in the seat of the scoffers. And scoffers would be uh, like those who would mock or be derisive towards um, somebody. And I, I thought to myself, well, who are they being, who are they scorning? Who are they mocking? It, th- those who are godly, those who are, who are not walking in that counsel. Uh, so that progression is, is clear, and it's how sin will sometimes come in and, and get a foothold in our life. And I, I know that there's, there's great examples in the word uh, as you spend time in it, and I found one in Genesis uh, as we look at the, uh, the life of Lot. So if you, you can turn, if you would like, uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to camp there and, and read the whole thing, but I'd like to go to Genesis 13. And uh, while you're doing that, we'll go ahead and give you just a little bit of backdrop just for uh, context. Um, Abram, who during these uh, series of chapters will have his name changed to Abraham, uh, is coming out of Egypt, and he's been blessed by God. He has tremendous wealth. He has servants. Um, he has uh, got plenty of cattle and livestock. Uh, and he also has a nephew by the name of Lot. Uh, who he take, had taken under his wing, and, and Lot's been blessed in the same way. And so the story goes that they've, they're out, and they've got all of their, you know, of course, herds, and there are, are some arguments uh, that arise between the two herdsmen. And uh, so Abram comes to Lot, and he says, let's don't have any strife between us. Let's, let's you choose. You know, look, if you want to go left, I'll go right, and vice versa. Um, and so we're going to pick it up here in verse... 10 of chapter 13 and it says and lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the lord destroyed sodom and gomorrah like the garden of the lord like the land of egypt as you go toward zoar then lot chose for himself all the plain of jordan and lot journeyed east and they separated from each other abram dwelt in the land of canaan and lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And so Lot lifted up his eyes, I thought was the first key phrase there, so he just looked at what he saw might be better. Um, he didn't doesn't have any record here that he consulted the Lord on which way he should go. And then it said he pitched his tents as far as, or toward, or close to Sodom. And knowing that the men of Sodom were wicked, he was going to fall into that council of the wicked. So let's skip ahead, turn a page maybe to chapter 14. We're going to pick up in verse uh, 12. And basically what's happened between these two chapters is there's a confederacy of kings and another one, confederacy of kings, and they go to battle. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah are on the side that lost. And so we pick it up here. In verse 12, as they're discussing what happened there, and it said, They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. And so we can see, not too long after he began to fall under the counsel of the wicked, that he was now in Sodom, not towards Sodom. So that progression started already happening. All right. And one more place, there's a few more chapters we got to pass this time, going to chapter 19. And a number of great stories in there. Again, his name gets changed to Abraham by the Lord. But right as we approach chapter 19, an interesting uh, situation happens where the Lord actually comes to speak to Abram, Abraham at this time. And he has two angels with him. And as they visit, he confirms a promise. And then 
as they're about to depart, he says, I should tell Abraham what's going on here. And they were going to Sodom because the sin had gotten to a point that they had to deal with it. And they were going to go basically see if they were going to have to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. That was the plan. And so there's this interesting bartering back and forth between Abraham and, uh, and the Lord. And he starts at like 50 and he breaks him down. Well, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city? And it works all the way down to 10. Um, and so as that's happening, he then sends uh, the angels into Sodom. And where do we find, uh, that's where we find ourselves here in chapter 19. It says, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And that's important because the gate is where all the elders, all the leaders of the city would sit. It's where judgment would be made. Business transactions would take place. It's indicative of he's now not just in Sodom. He is now very much entrenched in and in, in, even in a leadership in Sodom. Um, so as we, as we see that progression very clearly happening in Lot's life, um, it would be a warning to us, I would say. Now, I don't want to say that it's, it's something where the Lord would never call us to go into a dark place, to reach those who need the light. That's certainly important for us. Um, but in this case, the context doesn't appear that that's what's happening. You know, because again, that bartering, the 50, all the way down to 10, and they couldn't even find 10, because what happens after this, and I'll let you read the rest of the story on your own, uh, the Lord does destroy, and Lot is spared. A lot of righteous man in that situation is still spared. Uh, but he comes out, he loses his wife on the way, um, and he, it's him and his daughters. So there's great, there's great suffering and, and consequence that does come out of it in spite of the fact he's saved. So again, um, blessed or oh, how happy is the man that doesn't walk in the council, that doesn't stand in the path or sit in the seat of the scorners. So what does the blessed man do? Let's go back to Psalm 1 and... Pick it up in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Um, so here we see the sure foundation of the blessed man, and it's, it's the law of the Lord, the word of God. right? And it says he delights in that law. And delight uh, certainly could be meaning to pleasure and to desire, to consider a valuable thing. Uh, and it also says he meditates, uh, which could be defined as pondering, reflecting, thinking over seriously. Um, I'm used to these slides. Um, so when I think about the Word of God, often I think of, um, of Psalm 119. I mean, it's, it's 176 verses, and we're going to read all the way through it. You guys up for that? <laughs> we're not going to read all the way through it. We go in shifts. <laughs> But I, I do encourage you, when you get the opportunity, to spend some time in Psalm 119 because it focuses heavily on the Word of God. And just a few examples I have here on the slides. In verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. And you can see the anticipation as he goes to the Word. Uh, in verse 105, it says, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, uh, which really just shows us the way it can guide us and lead us in the way we should go. And this next one is the, probably the first verse in Psalms I ever memorized uh, as a young boy. Uh, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. All right? So the, the power of the word to keep you from sin. And so the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Well, what do you delight in? 
I asked myself that question, and um, I, I, I've heard, you know, uh, there's a lot of things, I guess, but the thing that just kept coming into my mind uh, was my wife. <laughs> and I'm not trying, I'm just score points here, but I, I, I do, I do uh, think back at when we were in our courtship. Yes, an old-fashioned term, but certainly I've got a lot of old-fashioned in me. And, and we didn't have the opportunity as we went through that to be near each other. She was in the northern part of this state going to school at Truman State. She still wears the parka to this day. It's hanging back in the back. <laughs> um, and I was about as far down in Florida as you could get. My dad, again, had moved us from Tennessee down to the south part of Florida in the Fort Lauderdale area. Uh, and so we were separated by many miles. Uh, and this was a time where, you know, we would write letters occasionally, but email quickly became uh, a, a regular form of communication. For those of you back then, it was still around the time when dial-up internet was still pre prevalent throughout and so we do that AOL uh, instant messenger, you know, the, the phone ringing, the static, the long tone, and waiting for a few hours, you finally get connected into the Internet, and, and then you get cut off in the middle of your conversation. You get the idea, all right? But I can remember uh, these emails because she would take great care in them. She would even take great care in the subject line. You know, it would always be something new, and I look forward to seeing that. And I would ponder over these things, and I would think seriously about everything she said, uh, and then I would have to reflect on them and, and be thinking about what do I write back that's as good as this. Um, a little side note, that is a wonderful way <laughs> to get to know each other because we were forced to do it that way. So we had to describe and write down. So um, anyway, I, I, I would think when I say what do I delight in, she's the first, thing that first person that comes to mind. Um, you didn't have to twist my arm or coerce me uh, to, to go for I mean, I'd run into the house sometimes looking for that email seeing if she wrote that day. Um, and so, uh, do you delight in God's word? You know, because in the same way, this is a, a love letter. You know, it's his, it's his word to us. It, it teaches us to know him. You know, it, it gives us the opportunity uh, uh, to fall in love, <laughs> if you want to call it that way. Um, and that's, that's, that's really what I think about when it talks about pondering and meditating um, on the things that you delight in and I encourage, and the blessed man does that. So what's it result in? Let's, let's shift to verse three. Um, it results in three things as I see it in the, in the verse here. We'll read it again. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit, its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. So it brings about fruit, sustainability, and prosperity. And again, pardon me for all the coaching uh, stories today or coaching uh, references, but it's the heart of what we do. As swimming coaches, we train athletes. So we train them, uh, we train their bodies, which is, uh, it's not a ball sport. So we're trying to train their bodies to be the racing boats, the racing cars that get up and and when it's race day and, and put out their best. So there's, there's a tremendous amount of time investment that goes into that. Uh, and I think about the seasons, you know, our, our, season, our entire life for the last, for me, the last 25 years has been <laughs> circled around these seasons. And athletes typically come in and they're so excited at the beginning of the season. You know, their goals are set, they're enthusiastic, uh, much like when we come to know the Lord for the first time. We've been forgiven you know, this is great. He's giving me victory over this, and he experiences love for the first time. 
but it's not too long that those training cycles start coming into effect, and they're meant to produce stress and overload and break the body down, uh, the weight room work, the discipline on the technique, and we do it twice a day, and we do it all the time. Uh, and so as you get through that, you start getting to the seasons where uh, it's, it's not so fun at times, right? And I find it interesting that it says uh, here that the blessed man would bring forth its fruit in its season, or the tree would bring forth its fruit in its season. But that tree has to spend the time to grow and send those roots down deep and to be nourished in the water, uh, in our case, of the word. And that that uh, will ultimately produce fruit, but it also produces sustainability. It says your leaf will not wither. You know, so uh, it's important for us to know that even when we don't see fruit in our lives, uh, that the word is at work, all right, and blesses the man that understands that. Um, and then it talks about prosper prosperity. Uh, and you can turn with me uh, briefly to uh, Joshua here. Actually, I have it up on the slide. You don't need to turn there. Uh, but this is right after Moses had passed, and Joshua is going to be the new leader uh, of the children of Israel. They're about to head into the promised land. And I'll read it out here. Above all, Joshua 1, verse 7 and 8 here. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Well, that's a nice reminder to Joshua as he heads into such an important role. It's a reminder to us that God will prosper us, all right? He will if we spend our time in the Word. Now, his definition of prosperity is not the same definition that we see in this world. Uh, the, the definition of this world is acquiring things, gaining ground, you know, wealth, whatever it is. Um, but his prosperity always focuses in on things that will last and be, be good to us for eternity, Right? He, he will focus on the things that will actually be fruit uh, that last. And uh, I found this uh, quote from David Guzik, who's one of my favorite pastors. And um, it says, he said, God brings forth something good and wonderful out of everything. Even tough circumstances bring forth something that shall prosper. Again, his view on prosperity is so different than what we see in this world. And, and, and it's prosperity that will be good for us, not just now, but for eternity. Mm. So moving into verse 4, um, the contrast here, we finally see it in the poetry. Uh, it says, not, and, the, and the ungodly are not so. It says, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Uh, and I have a picture up here uh, of, of chaff blowing away, and it's something that took place through the, the threshing process where they would throw up and the, uh, the grains and the grasses and get it separated from the seeds that they could use and be useful. Uh, and it's this process that shows that the chaff is really um, worthless, weightless. It doesn't, it doesn't have any substance to it. And so very quickly, we see that, see that contrast to the, the tree that's planted and has those deep roots and that can sustain through, through the tough times and the chaff just blows away. And it says, 
So as we see this, we see that ungodly have no weight, and so they won't be able to stand in the judgment. Uh, their works will be worthless. Their wealth will be worse, worthless. Um, they are like the chaff, and they won't have a place in the congregation of the righteous. Right? So a huge contrast there from what we see with the prosperity, the sustainability, and the fruit of the righteous or the blessed man. Um, so let's slide into verse 6 and um, repeat it there. It's for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So it's sort of the summary verse, the key verse here. And when it says the Lord knows, it, it's not just uh, he knows of you and then he's concentrating elsewhere. It's he's constantly knowing. He's, he's always aware. He's always watching. He's, he's got his... His eyes peeled on the righteous, the way of the righteous. So he's always with us. Um, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I did see a, I got a, a Spurgeon quote, which I guess is probably the most quoted pastor that I've ever heard, but he does it well. He says, he is constantly looking on their way. And though it may often be often in mist and darkness, yet the Lord knoweth it. Um, so again, the contrasting poetry here, two paths, the way of the righteous Verse the way of the ungodly. And as we sort of head towards the close here, I wanted to take one look uh, into uh, Matthew and see how uh, Jesus echoes this uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And as you know, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, one of his more, if not his most famous uh, teaching that's in the scriptures. Uh, and he's wrapping it up here in chapter 7. And we're going to pick it up in 13. We'll read a couple different passages here. Um, he says in chapter 7, verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So this, this, these two gates, these two, just like the two paths we're talking about in Psalm 1, um, it's the difficult one that leads to life. He doesn't paint it with, you know, roses or, or, or you know, it's not this pain-free journey. It's not one that most choose, right? But it's, it's the right choice, and it leads to life, all right? And then we slide down here to verse 24, and he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So again, echoing these thoughts, and, you know, as I thought on that, you know, I, I see that the narrow way is difficult, but it leads to life. Let's say in, in the second passage, it said that foundation that's on the rock, right, can withstand the storms and the floods and the challenges that life are going to bring us. And then I think of the two paths we focused in on Psalm 1. And, and it's not the popular route, but it, it, it leads to sustainability, prosperity, the things that we should be seeking as, as, as followers of the Lord. Um, and so whether it's the two, 
gates or the two foundations to choose from or the two paths that we focused in on Psalm, in Psalm 1, um, I think the Lord would say to us, you know, make the choice that results in life. Make the choice that results in that strong foundation because um, he's, not, he's not painting the picture of this life that we live in this fallen world as perfect. Uh, but he is the God who is always looking over our way, of the way of the righteous. He's the God that's with us through it all. And whether it's a storm or whether it's uh, one of those high moments in life or anywhere in between, um, the blessed is the man who will follow the Lord. Blessed is the man who will delight in the word. Blessed is the man who has this confidence that whether it's the narrow way and everyone else is going the other way, uh, that we are to be with him and that we are, are safe and we have that hope. So, anyway. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for uh, the opportunity to get in it together today. And we pray that you would uh, allow it to uh, work through our hearts and our minds as we go our way uh, the rest of this Sunday and into the new week. And we pray that it would, uh, uh, would allow us to, uh, to form those roots even deeper uh, into your word as we go through life and that you would use it and every experience you allow us to go through in this life um, that you will use it to bear fruit fruit that would draw others to see the contrast that we saw in psalm 1 today uh, and we just pray that you would be uh, uh, glorified that you would be lifted up in our lives uh, and that we would uh, choose to walk with you um, all the days of our lives Pray these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.